Well, there have been some great families in sport. Tell me Most about of it. them better than, well, others. Well, Ed, my son's got a lot to say to you. Oh, that was a very brief comment. What's the name, Mr. Whalen? What, what? I'm very disappointed how I've been treated by the, Nas the National Wrestling Board over here. What, I wrote what? to him three weeks ago for a letter to come to for that Commonwealth bout with Bruce yeah, yeah. I've had no reply. No reply. And another thing, I've just read in the in the pay, in the program that Dynamite Kids just come back. What's this, Father, about Dynamite coming back into the army? What's the matter with you? Father, am I still number one? Am I still number one? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about you being number one. If I'm one. not number one, I'm going home. Oh, he's not number one. You mean you want to go back to mum, eh? Yeah. Wants to go back to mother? Sounds like it, Ed. Yes? Well, I hate to tell you this, but Dynamite Kid is one of the greatest fighters in the world. If he's coming back to Foley, Dynamite's I got not a hunch. In my class, though. Dynamite's he's, not in my no, class. that's true. He's not in your class. He's way above it. Way above it. I can leave Dynamite any time I like. Oh, my father sure knows it. Don't get upset, Apple. I will see what I can do about you getting yeah, okay. a championship match for the Commonwealth Bell. Right. And say hello to Mother, will you? Okay. And away we go with another edition of the Stampede Wrestling Show. Let me tell you good people something, and you beer belly sharecroppers out there. The old saying goes, batten down the hatches and lock the door. It is indeed wrestling time once more. Hello Stampede Wrestling fans and welcome to the Ring a Ding Dong Dandy podcast again. We have a Calgary local with us today, Mr. Heath McCoy, our co-host General CJ, who is of course an homage to General J.R. Foley is with us. How are you doing, General CJ? I'm doing good today, sir. How about you? Well, I'm doing great. Most of that's because we've got a fantastic guest with us today. This is Mr. Heath McCoy. Mr. McCoy, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are things in Calgary today? It's a beautiful day. After after we uh, after we finish this off, I think I'm gonna hop on a bike with my son and, and uh, get get some rays. Oh, that's awesome! Calgary has some of the best bike paths in all of Canada. Oh, amazing! Yeah. So today we're talking about a Stampede Wrestling legend, Mr. J.R. Foley, who spent the better part of two decades with Stampede Wrestling. Am I right? Uh, let me think here. Uh, he came in 1976, and he, yeah, actually, I, no, no, he came in 1976, and he passed away in 88, if I'm not mistaken, so I was fumbling around looking, so making sure I didn't screw up that when he died, but yeah, so just over a decade, really. Now, he has a big background. He was kind of a shooter in his background. He was a big-time wrestler before he became the manager that we know. Do you know much about his history going back to England and Kentucky? Yeah, well, he was. Uh, I mean, Kentucky didn't come up for a, for a long while. He he was. Yeah, he was a legit uh, uh, tough guy English wrestler. Uh, wrestler. He was a shooter, and you know, kind of a Bret Hart called him a badass bully. Um, he came from Wigan, uh, Wigan Goulburn area, just like the Dynamite Kid. Uh, it, it's mid. For those who don't know, it's midway between like Liverpool and Manchester, I believe, and uh, fully trained in uh, Billy Riley's infamous snake pit, which was sort of like the English version of uh, Stewart's dungeon, from what I understand. Like, you know, many uh, torturous uh, stretchings and cries of agony coming from the <laughs> coming from the uh, uh, the snake pit back in the day, and you know, that old sort of uh, only the strong survive sort of mentality. So. He uh, he began his career in the late '50s, uh, and he really made a, a name for himself on the British wrestling scene as you know, kind of a tough sob. And um, and here's a really interesting part about him, which I only found out recently. Uh, in 
Britain, and then when he came to, and, and then also they carried this on when he came to uh, the States in the 70s. But he was part of uh, a tag team with another uh, British wrestler by the name of uh, uh, Ted Heath, or sometimes called uh, Sir Edward Heath. And when they, it wasn't until they gravitated to uh, North America in the 70s, but they were dubbed the British Bulldogs. They were the original British Bulldogs, like a decade before, a decade or so before the Dynamite Kid and, and Davey Boy Smith became, you know, the world famous British Bulldogs. And in WWF, um, they were the original British Bulldogs. And it's the story around the naming of the British Bulldogs is that Vince McMahon named them that because they were they were these scrappy British Bulldogs. They were these scrappy Bulldog type of guys. They were British, um, you know, but you have to wonder if there's something more to the story, if maybe Vince had heard the name or. Or maybe Dynamite Kid, because he. We'll get into this. Dynamite was, Dynamite and John Foley were like father and son to, to get, and and uh, and I think maybe Dynamite passed that on to McMahon through you know via Foley's old war stories. But yeah, he was part of the original uh, British Bulldogs, and yeah, came to uh, North America, I believe, in the seventies, and had kind of a, a storied career. Um, there for a while there there's there's a, an amazing story stop me if i'm getting ahead of myself here i, I know um, <laughs> no, this is great keep going yeah there, there's an amazing story now i think he gravitated to the to the uh the states the, the southern states i think it might have been in kentucky i'm not 100 percent sure of this but by the 70s foley's um sorry i gotta i'm, I'm sick today i gotta get a glass of water here foley's uh by the 70s, Foley's really developed, uh, you know, kind of a drinking problem. He's, he's really – he's kind of notorious as being a bit of a drunk, and he was bitter at some of the younger stars, and um, he was – and he would take liberties. And, like, he was this shooter bully type, and he would take liberties in that ring. And uh, there's a story that when he – probably in Kentucky, uh, he took liberties in the ring with a young Randy Poffo and Lanny Poffo, kind of beat them up in the ring a little bit. And uh, their dad, the legendary Angelo Poffa, didn't appreciate that. I'm not sure if it was in the ring or backstage, but the story goes that Angelo Poffo and the two, his two sons kicked the living shit out of Foley for the, for the liberties, liberties he was taking in the ring. And it, for those who don't know, uh, Randy Poffo went on to be like really one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, Randy Macho Man Savage. So kind of a cool story there. But and I think it's right after that, maybe like, you know, he's kind of this he's kind of this beaten, dejected sort of guy after that, kind of like when Dynamite Kid, the, the Dynamite Kid Rougeau incident in a way. And uh, yeah, he winds up he gravitates towards Stampede Wrestling and uh, Stu Hart, you know, loves the shooter. So Stu Hart takes a shine for him on him. But he's not very impressive when he comes to Stampede Wrestling. I believe this is in 1976. I mean, he's you know, he's he's short. He's flabby. Uh, he's got this giant beer belly. He's got these skinny arms, skinny legs. He doesn't look very impressive in the ring there. You know, he's got this cockiness. And so, so, but he's kind of a, as far as, far as I can tell, he's like a low to mid card sort of guy. They almost play him for comedy relief. And uh, yeah, that's, that's his evolution sort of. And that's how he comes to Stampede Wrestling. That's great with the analogy to Dynamite Kid. That's the first thing I was thinking about with Dynamite and the Rougeaus. That's amazing how yeah. those two interplay, isn't it? Yeah, because, the, the, you know, anybody who knows a lot, you know, it's part of the Dynamite Kid legend. that The Rougeau thing is a real turning point in, in Dynamite's life. He's sort of this, he's sort of, uh, you know, he's this, he's the, he's this king, king shit in, in the back, you know, in the ring and, 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 you know, backstage as well, in the dressing room as well. And uh, after the Rougeau thing... He's he sort of gets he gets taken down a peg and, and he sort of sp spirals out of control because of it. And I don't know, fully spiraled out of control so much, but he was certainly, you know, he was humbled when he came to Stampede Wrestling. There's a little bit of footage out there about uh, J.R. Foley wrestling in a Stampede ring. I think it's around 1976. And as you said, he's not impressive looking, but he's impressive <laughs> in the ring. He's got good skills. I thought yeah. he was quite scientific in the couple of matches that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He, he was he was a solid wrestler. That, I mean, I think that's even though he wasn't impressive. That's why Stu um, kept him around and they didn't know what to do with him sort of thing. And then, uh, when, you know, I can't I keep bringing it into the Dynamite Kid here. And, and it's not because I'm trying to talk about the Dynamite Kid. It's because the Dynamite Kid and Foley are just so linked. 
the J.R. Foley story has so much to do with the Dynamite Kid story and vice versa, actually. And when the Dynamite Kid, Dynamite Kid comes to Stampede Wrestling in, in 1978, you know, the promotion is lagging. It's, 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 about, to, it's about to go tits up. Stu's looking at, to sell. And, and um, yeah, the Dynamite Kid comes along we all, and revolutionizes that whole territory. You know, suddenly the, the box, you know, the, the ticket sales are up. Um, people are watching, you know, people are glued to the TV. He really revolutionizes the territory and he kind of, um, they, they bring J.R. Foley in as, as Dynamite Kid's manager. At first he comes, Dynamite comes in as a baby face actually, uh, but before too long, they turn him heel and he's the, he's the, you know, the mortal enemy of, of the hearts and, uh, and Foley becomes a part of that because Foley becomes a part of his manager and Foley's evolution and and uh, his sort of uh, renaissance in the ring, because like I say, he was sort of a jobber type of guy, or above a jobber, but just sort of a comedy relief sort of figure. And then he becomes like a major part of the storyline. He becomes a ma- one of the major characters that we all, you know, that Stampede Wrestling fans know and love and remember today. Uh, you know, through through this through this evolution with the Dynamite Kid, and and uh, again, I'm, I'm going. Just shut me up if I keep go- if I keep going on and on here, but. Uh, I'm so glad that you're doing this episode because I truly believe that um, I truly believe that he is one of the Jer Foley. Nobody knows him outside the Stampede Wrestling territory, really. Uh, Maybe I mean, who knows? Maybe in Britain and people remember him as John Foley and maybe he made some kind of mark in the southern states. But but I mean, really, he's known. The reason we're talking about him today is because of, you know, J.R. Foley and Stampede Wrestling. And, but nobody outside the Stampede territory really knows who he is. And it's a shame. It's so, he's such an underrated, un, you know, unrecognized uh, genius. I really think he's one of the – it's hard to call him a genius, but I think, I think he was one of the great heel managers of all time, but not just sort of not known. Like, he, he was diabolical. But he had that sort of wit and humor and, 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 and that, that sort of larger than life cartoon character sort of thing that you, you know, that I would associate with, um, you know, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Classy Freddie Blassie and that sort of thing. Like he was in, in a Stampede Prime. He was that good. And, and nobody knows about it. So I'm so glad you're, we're doing this today. Well, as you said, yeah. he's a Western Canadian institution, right? So back in high school, myself and other guys used to walk around. We'd walk up to a girl in high school and say... <laughs> So you want to go to a party? <laughs> that was part of our culture because we had watched Stampede Wrestling so much and it was such a great line when it was used. Oh, yeah. He was part. He was such. I'll never forget this. Being a young Stampede Wrestling fan, I grew up in Saskatoon and uh, going to the matches. And, uh, you know, and Foley was this. He was the major bat, villain heel on TV. And, but he was behind the scenes. He was this sort of a, sort of a rummy, sort of a drunk, had no money. He's, he's playing the millionaire manager, but he couldn't. He didn't have two cents to rub together usually. I'll never forget lining up for a pop, for some popcorn and a pop or whatever before the, before the matches. And somehow John J.R. Foley's coming through the crowd, right? I don't know if he got locked out of the dressing room or what happened, but he's coming through the crowd. He's got the yacht hat on. He's dressed up and everything. And it was just like, he was like an old frenemies sort of thing like 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 kids around me like fuck you foley fuck you and and (laughs) and he's like he's like he reminds me of uh what mr crisotto or whatever on um on uh monty python's meaning of life you know the brit on monty python's meaning of life who who as that last wafer and explodes he sounded like that he's like fuck off (laughs) fuck off when you know i was like awestruck i said i can't believe we're having an interaction with uh jared foley here but yeah the the uh a big part of wrestling is the catchphrases, you know, like if you can get a good catchphrase that gets, you know, get people repeating, that's a, you've impacted the culture. Um, you know, Pencil Neck Geek with Freddie Blassie, um, you know, think, just think of some of the greatest wrestlers. They all have sort of a catchphrase, sort of, you know, there, there's certain catchphrases and Foley had it like, um, you know, let the good times roll, Mr. Whalen. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, yeah, the party thing where Mr. because he had this great, rapport with Waylon too. I, I, I sometimes wonder if, cause I, he didn't have the same, he wasn't as great with other announcers. Him and Waylon had this almost cat skills sort of comedy routine going, you know, and he would taunt Waylon and Waylon would, you know, would mock him and would be disgusted by him and, you know, could look down on him and, you know, and, and, and he would say, you know, we're having a party tonight, Mr. Waylon with the most beautiful women in all of Calgary. 
you're not invited. <laughs> it's like so funny, man. And and the you know let the good times roll, Mr. Whalen, and money talks and all this stuff. It's like such a great part of my youth. So let's go back to 1979. Dynamite Kid. He's a popular face. And then he turns and becomes heel, aligns with, with J.R. Foley. What's the story behind that heel turn? I think that uh, – I think that – I think I almost think that Bruce Hart always had the heel turn in mind because I think that Bruce, who's a small wrestler himself, saw the Dynamite Kid because Dynamite Kid was a small, diminutive guy, right? The first time Stu saw him, he said, ah, who's this skinny little bastard? You know, he didn't think anything of him until Stu saw how – revolutionary and great he was in the ring but because he was a smaller wrestler i think bruce saw him as this guy that he could work with like they could have some great matches so i i almost think it was it was a plan from the get-go they start him off as as a as a baby face then eventually i i thought i made was it 79 i even thought it was as late as 70 or early 78 but they turn they turn him heel uh yeah and 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 a big part of that maybe right off the get-go they they, they also make they find something to do with John J.R. Foley. J.R. Foley can now be – there's this whole – it's sort of a debate. I, I've, um, I, I'm not sure if it's Bruce Hart who came up with this or it's, some people have said it's Norman Frederick Charles actually. Um, uh, th- there's a fantastic new book out called Dynamite and Davey actually about the Dynamite Kid and Davey Boy Smith. And uh, the author um, makes – yeah, he says that it was Norman Frederick Charles actually. But, but anyway, they, they come up with this concept – that he's suddenly John Foley sort of suddenly inherited all this money. You know, he's sort of the million dollar Teddy Biasi, the million dollar man before before the million dollar man, right? That he inherits this money, so he's this he's this millionaire manager, and he starts taunting his you know taunting um, Whalen with his money and all his millions, and and uh, and they they turn him from John Foley into J.R. Foley because the, at the time it's the late seventies. And the biggest show on TV is Dallas, if people remember Dallas, um, this sort of drama soap opera thing that came on. And and um, <clears throat> the big villain of Dallas is this is J.R. Um, Ewing. Um, Larry Hagman played J.R. Ewing, and he's this, you know, a super corrupt, you know, oil baron, basically, that screws over his family and screws over everybody. And he's a womanizer. And and uh, yeah, so they name him J.R. Foley, inspired by uh jr ewing it's, it's such an inspired concept and then again i keep talking 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 but but i can go on from because then then it doesn't doesn't just stop at jr foley um you know the, the 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 character evolves from there and it's sort of this organic fun evolution i don't know if you want me to jump ahead or if i should shut up and let you you talk or so, General okay. CJ, how about you? Do you have any questions about the dynamite run? Dynamite yeah, run. With actually, you? that J, actually that Jr. Foley uh, thing. There is an interview on YouTube when Jr. comes out and uh, Ed interviews him, and Jr. is talking about how he inherited all this money and he's a millionaire and he's going to go uh-huh. around the world. That's great, and uh, all this stuff. And then at so then. Uh, at the end of the uh, interview, Ed uh, introduces his J.R. Foley as, oh, here's uh, J.R. Foley, Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I laughed so hard when oh. Ed always would get everything over so good, he you did. know. I, I do think a lot, a big part of J.R. Foley's what made him so great was his interaction with Waylon. Like that was, yeah. people. some people slag Waylon because he wasn't your typical announcer and he was sort of, you know, got in the way of some of the angles and stuff. But, I mean, that's at it is finest. The rapport he had with certain guys and the rapport he had with J.R. Foley is just like, that is why Waylon is like a legend as well, you know? Yeah. He loves Stampede Wrestling in some ways, you know? Oh, I agree. You know, and getting back um, to this uh, original Bulldogs uh, thing, um, we have a Facebook group called Ring-A-Ding-Dong Dandy. As I'm on it, man, yeah. And um, I'm the one that actually originally posted that. Uh, oh, cool! On there for Good for you. That was an amazing find. Oh, I, I, jumped that I saw that. That was great. Yeah, I actually I don't know. It came on uh, one of my feeds one day, and I thought, <laughs> "Holy cow, that's J.R. Foley! Uh, he's original Bulldogs." And I yeah, isn't that cool? Right away, I posted it on the Ring a Ding Dong Danny podcast. 
Yeah, yeah. Isn't and he I, even? He's even holding a like a a, a, a bulldog kind of stuffy, isn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Believe so. Oh, yeah. You know, and I I thought that was so cool. So cool. Right. It reminds me of like an early version of Matilda. That stuffy was that the name of their their dog that would come to the ring. Their am I getting that wrong, guys? Oh uh, yeah, that's right. And when yeah. the WWF, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they'd come to the ring in the WWF with holding the real bulldog, Matilda. But it's kind of like that's their mascot. And I, I thought when uh, when I saw the picture of Foley and uh, Sir Edward Heath there with the little bulldog yeah. stuffy, I, I hope I'm not getting that wrong. But I'm pretty sure there was like a little teddy bear bulldog there. I thought that's the early Matilda. Awesome. Yeah, getting off a little bit off the topic here. Um, I had talked about in a preview in our episode that we did about uh, Les Thornton. And yeah. uh, when do you remember uh, Heath and when Les had his wrestling school in Calgary? Um, I'm aware of it, but I don't. I I don't really. Yeah, I don't know too much about it. You you probably know more than me. You might have seen an old picture in the Calgary Sun with uh, dynamite posing with a bunch of these bulldogs. Do you ever remember? No. At all? No, I never saw that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it it was at Les Thornton's school. He brought all these bulldogs down <laughs> to um, Les's school, and somehow the, the Calgary Sun or Calgary Herald or whatever got a... <laughs> no, it would have been the Sun. That's a Sun thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was, that was cool, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, J.R. Foley was was quite the man. Um, I remember seeing him one time because I I lived in Innisfil, and actually I still do now. So most of my Stampede Wrestling shows were every second Wednesday night in Red Deer. Okay, I was a Monday night kid for Saskatoon. Right, and yeah, and I was a Wednesday, every second Wednesday. And then when I got older, back in the time when... Uh, just before Benoit got into the business. Yeah. So we would drive from Innisfil to Calgary every Friday night to go down to the pavilion and and see the shows, eh? Yeah. And uh, so that's, I had, I had seen a lot of that. So anyways, this one, this one Wednesday, J.R. was with his gimmick son, Athel. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about Athel, man. That was one of the greatest. That Okay, anyway, I won't cut you off, but yeah. Okay, so so what happened with J.R. Foley and Athel Foley? Um, what we did, we knew that these guys, and I had, I had some friends that came with me, and they were farm kids. So what happened was, is I went to Dairy Queen to buy a pint <laughs> of ice cream yeah. and a plastic spoon. So what I did is J.R. Foley came out with his son, Athel, and he was wearing a really nice black cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah. So I glooped this ice cream, this ice cream at him. And it hit him right in the cowboy hat, like right wow. square on that cowboy hat. I wow. think direct his cowboy hat. I'm surprised he didn't kick your ass. I'm telling you. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I was sitting in the crowd and I just glooped the ice cream and it just fluke, just fluke hit them right in the cowboy That's hat. That's funny. <laughs> and Randy says, Oh my God, you hit J.R. Foley's cowboy hat. Everybody, they were just laughing their heads off. Because everybody hated Jr. right? Oh, yeah, they did. But they hated him, but they loved him. Like, he was the yeah. guy you loved to hate, which is the, it's this, I mean, everybody loved Bobby Heenan, too. You hate the guy, yeah. but there's just something so funny about him. There's something you just love about Bobby Heenan and, and, and Freddie Blassie and these great, some of these great managers. I always, I always think the best heel managers always have, like, sort of a funny shtick to them, too. Like, Jimmy, Jimmy Hart, for example, too. And Foley had that. He was so funny. And one of those uh, Friday nights that we went to the matches at the pavilion, we were sitting on the side where the camera was, where the camera faces the ring, but we yeah. right? And you know where J.R. Foley used to always sit at ringside there, right? In yeah. the corner. Yeah, ready ready to hit people with his can when the, the, the Oh the, no, no, not oh yeah, that too. But when he'd want to have a cigarette, back then you could smoke, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
he'd, he'd turn around and look at somebody in the crowd and say, hey, you got a cigarette? And <laughs> three, or, three or four were giving him a cigarette right away. Right away. Wow. That's such a Foley thing that he was bumming smokes because, like, that's the funny thing. He was He's the heel millionaire manager. But, I mean, I'm surprised Stu didn't get mad at him for breaking kayfabe. But, yeah, he's the he- heel millionaire manager. And he's bumming smokes from people. Like, there's there's a funny story about one night he in Saskatoon, actually. He comes yeah. to the hotel. He's pissed out of his mind. Uh, they don't – he can't afford a room. His pockets are little, literally empty. And Dynamite Kid and Bruce Hart, like, snuck him into a, their room because he he couldn't – the millionaire manager couldn't afford his, uh, his, uh, his room. You know, he's bumming smokes off people. Bad News Allen, you know, he, he had a lot of affection for – J.R. Foley, too, but I remember talking to Bad News Allen. He called him a derelict. He called Foley a derelict because he kind of was, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I read in your book there, I think, about um, news saying a little bit about J.R. Foley lived a lot longer because of dynamite. Well, yeah, and he lived lived a lot longer professionally. Well, I don't know if he lived longer because of Dynamite. I think maybe that hastened his demise, maybe. But but he uh, he lived a lot longer professionally because of the Dynamite Kid. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. We should we should talk. Okay, so you talk about cigarettes. Do you guys mind <laughs> if I talk about the, uh, the, the, the – maybe you guys don't know about it, but the, the gasoline in the toilet thing with the cigarette? Do you, do you know about this rib? Well, I read that one. It's at the beginning of your chapter 12 there. I read that today, actually. I think Ben Basrob <laughs> tells that story, too. It's, can, I, can I tell it? It's yeah, of course. Let's hear. I mean, yeah. So the Dynamite Kid and, and Foley, they, you know, Dynamite Kid comes in here and he's this kid from Gol- Goldburn. That's before, that's before uh, Davy Boy was in town. So he's this new kind of green kid. Um, you know, among these Canadians and, you know, the hearts embrace him and he becomes almost like one of the brothers. But, uh, but yeah, he, he's, he's sort so when he gravitates towards the other guy from his, his, you know, the homeland, J.R. Foley, and they become legit friends on the road. Um, you know, full, a father and son figure really was like Foley became Dynamite's surrogate father figure. So they weren't, it wasn't just in the ring. It was actually a, a real thing too, but you know, we all know about these malicious kind of crazy pranks the Dynamite would pull, Dynamite Kid would pull. I guess they'd be, you know, some of it was just like fun. They they would, when, you know, the whole thing, Foley, the millionaire manager, at first had a handlebar mustache, or at one point he had a handlebar mustache. And then one day in the in the van, they, the Dynamite Kid shaves off his mustache and shaves it into a Hitler mustache. Foley wakes up and he's pissed, he's angry. Uh, and then and then Bruce Hart goes, no, we'll keep this, we'll keep this. So then Foley becomes this weird, awesome hybrid between like J.R. Foley and, and I always say Adolf Hitler, but now that I'm thinking, because it's a Hitler mustache, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's more like a, uh, a hybrid between um, J.R. Ewing and, and Charlie Chaplin, because Foley's, there's something about fumble, Foley that's very bumbling too, kind of like Charlie Chaplin, you know, but, and they would, they were buddies, they would, they would, um, you know, they, him and Dynamite would be arm in arm, sort of singing on, on top of, pissed out of their mind in the van, and they would sing on top of old Smokey. And, and, and they would, uh, Dynamite would be putting shade, you know, spraying shaving cream all over the top of his head. And so he did these ribs on Foley all the time. And the one, because we all know about how crazy and malicious and over the top Dynamite's uh, ribs would get. And I, they knew that Foley liked to sit on the can and have a smoke. And then when he was done having a smoke, he would throw his smoke into the, you know, in between his legs and into the toilet sort of thing. So Dynamite, I guess, fills the, the toilet bowl, fills the inside of the toilet with lighter fluid one day. And knowing that he's going to have a smoke, he's going to drop his smoke between his legs and bang, you know, it singes his balls and everything. It could have blown his nuts off. Like that's sort of the craziness of the Dynamite. He loves this guy. He loves Jared Foley. This is a father figure to him. But I mean, he could have. He could have really uh, messed the guy up for life, you know. Uh, it's it just sort of speaks to the, the, the sort of madness of the dynamite kid and how he was already sort sort of spiraling into this kind of crazy figure that you know really got crazy in in the WWF and uh, and just sort of this rough camaraderie that him and the him and the dynamite kid had, fooling the dynamite kid had. So it's amazing how that's terrifying yet hilarious at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Like, I, I don't know. Like if my son, uh, I love my son unconditionally, but if he, if he, um, 
blows my nuts off it's going to compromise our relationship i don't know <laughs> i don't know man you know <laughs> now it wasn't just his nuts it was his head too wasn't his hat on fire at one point oh man yeah i think they set oh, the his hat on fire hat. right yeah yeah baker's hat <laughs> that is funny man that's such a funny well, yeah look jr jr said i think it's it's hot in here it's hot in here and he woke <laughs> up and his hat was on fire <laughs> yeah and that sort of that wackiness came across in the ring and that's one of the you know so Foley, you know, central to his his evolution as J.R. Foley, the reason we're talking about him today is is his relationship with Ed Whalen and that rapport they had, but also his relationship with Dynamite Kid and that rapport that they had, which was a very, I think both were quite legit relationships, you know. Here's a question, Mr. East McCoy. Did uh, J.R. Foley ever get back at Dynamite? No, I don't believe that. It, not, not to my knowledge. I don't think anybody ever got back at Dynamite except uh, until until uh, Rougeau did, and then that didn't go well, as we know. But yeah, I don't think he ever got back at him. No, because I, the two of them did have kind of like a father son relationship for many years, right? Totally. I, I, will never forget this. Um, so, so the Dynamite Kid's a heel. He, they term heel seventy eight, seventy nine, and he's like the Stampede Wrestling heel for the longest time. But he's one of these guys, kind of like Randy Macho Man Savage, kind of like Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's a heel, but he's such an awesome, beloved heel that they eventually kind of have to turn him on face again. And uh, they do. There was an angle. Yeah, you 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 brought up uh, uh, Wakamatsu earlier, and he was he was so he sort of came and he was this Japanese warlord type of guy and couldn't speak English and he'd rant in Japanese and stuff and and he had his cane and. He came in as a sort of uh, co-manager with Jar Foley at one point there, and you know they managed the Bad Bad News Allen and together. And there was some kind of there was an angle where they kind of turned Foley babyface for a minute there because because Bad News Allen and Wakamatsu and whoever else, like maybe it was just the two of them, they turned on Foley. They turn on Foley and they, they, they decide that you know he's he's the weak, the lesser of the two managers between Wakamatsu or whatever, and they and they beat the hell out of Foley in the ring, and the Dynamite Kid, always the heel, comes running to the ring, you know, drop kicks Bad News Allen out of there, beats the hell out of Wakamatsu, gets rid of Wakamatsu. And uh, then Foley, uh, he's they're they're getting interviewed, and Foley's all I think he's all bloodied yeah. and everything. And they're getting interviewed by Ed Whalen, and I'll yeah. never forget him saying that you know the the good the good Lord John Foley is like a father to me, Mister Whalen, and and it, he was like a good like a father figure to him, and that was sort of like I realized later that that wasn't just part of the act. That was like that was a true sort of thing. He was like a father figure to him. I think yeah, if I remember, was, yeah. sorry, go ahead, John CJ. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, even after um, even after the big accident they had at Jasper, what was that? Eighty nine. Yeah. There's an interview. Well, there's an interview out there in the in the Stampede locker room with our with Jim Davies oh, and Dynamite. Yeah? Uh, you know, saying you know the good Lord John Foley told yes. me seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, Davy Boy Smith, never to trust you, you know. That's right. You know, and that was I think that would have been like a year Lord after Foley died. Yeah. Yeah, the good Lord John Foley. Yeah. He was yeah. impactful. The dynamite kid, you know, I don't know if he shed a tear when Foley died. He wasn't a, a tear shedding type of guy, I don't think, but uh it was impactful. He, him and Foley had a legit relationship for sure. And Foley, uh, it, we we should mention here for for the listeners, I think, like Foley had this. He was a manager to the to the real heels that became huge figures. He was he Syl, Sylvester uh, Ritter. He managed who became the Junkyard Dog. Um, Doctor D. David Schultz. Bad News Allen was one. The Masters of Disaster. Kerry uh, Brown and uh, Duke Myers, who were also pretty much their legend is tied to Stampede. I think, but they were a great underrated tag team and they were also they were also um, managed by foley not so much the memphis mafia though eh? i don't, I don't think... think so i they, they were no. going through my mind too and i don't think foley was managing them maybe uh, like foley got sick right foley do you know what foley died of was it lung cancer i think it was yeah. throat cancer oh was it throat um, cancer which uh, makes sense because he smoked like a chimney right and i think I think, you know, after that second incarnation of Stampede Wrestling came along, like, you know, we all, how, how McMahon sort of bought the territory and then reneged. And so there was that period between 84 and 85 when they, when they weren't 
it, they weren't in existence. And then McMahon reneged, and then they started Stampede Wrestling again from scratch. JR Foley is much less of a factor in that sec that last incarnation there because I think he was sick. I think he was getting sick. I think he had his cancer. Um, and yeah, he and I, so it's throat cancer. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, and he and he passed away in uh, in '88. Yeah, he managed. He managed Vladimir Kupov, didn't he? I, I think that would have been in the second, you know, that that sort of last chapter for him. And I, you remember, you remember Vladimir, right? Yep. And uh, around the time when um, uh, Johnny Smith came into the territory, right? But that whole Battle of the Bulldogs thing, I mean, Foley would have been so great in that because at one point there, when you know, Dynamite and Davy Boy, they, Dynamite has his falling out with Rujo. They sort of burn their bridge with McMahon, and they come back to Stampede Wrestling and sort of really set the territory on fire for a short time again. But and then they, it, it was such a brilliant angle. They they just they turn those two, they turn Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith against each other again because they were initially villains and they were initially rivals in 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 Stampede Wrestling when Davy Boy first came to the territory. Nobody knew they were cousins, but um. Yeah, they 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 launched this whole battle of the British Bulldogs thing, and which should have been a, that thing fizzled oh, out yeah. partly because dynamite fizzled out, and partly because you know the, the territory was fizzling out. And but uh, if if Foley had been there, part of that that would have been incredible. Abu Abu Wizal did an amazing job. Don't get me wrong, um, uh, Malad, you're awesome. But but I mean, if Foley had been in there, oh my god, I can't like that. The rapport that would have been there, you know. Yeah, they used uh, they used Bulldog Bob Brown for that second time around. When yeah, he, I yeah, still I, remember watching that. I don't think it was on TV when he hit Davy Boy with the endo stick. I thought it was. Course, was it? No, no. I, I I thought and did he? I thought that Davy Boy accidentally. You know, it yeah. was part of the angle or whatever. The Davy Boy accidentally hit Dynamite, and Dynamite wouldn't believe that it was an accident, sort of thing. And then he turned on Davy, and then probably hit, yeah, probably did hit him with a kendo stick. And then he went on, and then they they did that whole. He was always jealous of me. He was always riding my coattails, and yeah. Yeah, I don't think that one was shown on TV because because Bruce was pretty smart in the booking that way for bring for buying people yeah. and saying. You know, a big main event, not on television. Wow, yeah. that's that's going to draw you for me driving from Innisfil to Calgary to see this main event. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Um, yeah. yeah. We we talk, Do you guys mind if we go on to talk about Alpha Foley? Because that's such a classic thing. Like only the audience to talk about Wendy Richter. <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah. The, the audience needs to know the Apple Foley thing. I, so I, you can tell my excitement about this. I love Jr. Foley. Did he get man. his haircut? What's that? How did he get his haircut? How did he get that? How did he get well, the I think this is another thing from the twisted mind of Bruce Hart, who was really kind of you know the the, the Booker at that time for a lot a lot of the time anyway. And, you know, and people sometimes people think Bruce gets too much credit and some people think he doesn't get credit enough for the genius of it. So who knows where where ideas come from? But so they, they do this brilliant, funny angle where where Jer Foley brings in his son, supposedly his son. It's just another English wrestler, I believe. And is the name Bernie Wright? I think it's Bernie Wright anyway. Sounds they, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They bring him in and he's, uh, he's, you know, um, they play him as a wimp, but he's actually a really, um, uh, Bob Leonard, the great Stampede Wrestling photographer, photographer told me that, um, yeah, he was actually a really good, he said he's a really good hand in the ring, Bernie Wright. But anyway, they bring him in, Athel Foley, and he's the, he's the, uh, you know, he's the wimpy, pampered, spoiled, you know, suck at candy ass son of Jar Foley. And every time he gets his ass kicked in the ring, he like literally cry to daddy and, and then, you know, and, and Waylon would get in there and make fun of him and stuff. And uh, yeah, then they just, it's always, Bruce Hart had this thing where he was always referencing pop, pop culture, right? So they turned Jar Foley into, they turned John Foley into Jar Foley, like, uh, you know, inspired by J.R. Ewing of Dallas in a way. And, and with, with Athel, Who's the big, who's the big, uh, it's the days of Mr. T, right? It's the early 80s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Mr. T is the big guy on TV. You know, he's the big, you know, everybody, he's, he's in Rocky 3s and the A-team. Like, Mr. T is one of the biggest figures around at that time. 
you know, pity and fools everywhere. And, and uh, they give Apple Foley this, this um, Mr. T haircut. And it's the funniest thing. And, 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 and everybody, uh, it just adds fuel to the fire of the fans just hating this guy. And I remember, I remember being at matches and even on TV, I'm surprised they didn't edit this out, but you know, his name is Athol Foley and the crowd would chat, asshole, asshole, asshole. And, and, and Athol would sit there and freak out and be flailing around angrily in the ring. And, and uh, yeah, you mentioned the Wendy Rector thing. So spoiled little punk ass Athol Foley gets his, he has a, um, you know, a gender, what is it? A, you know, a gender match or mismatch or whatever. And, and, I wonder if it's before Andy Kaufman was beaten up, but was had his thing in Memphis when he was fighting all the women all the time. But I don't know. But but Athel Foley probably would have been around the same time, I think. But yeah, Athel takes on Wendy Richter and she kicks his ass right there in the ring. And he's like, Daddy, Daddy. Oh, God. Amazing. He says, buddy boy, you punched me right in the nose. That's right. It's a great line. Oh my God. Did you ever did you ever see Athel come out in a diaper? I yes. seen him in Red Deer once. He came out in a diaper. It was so funny. Oh my everybody gosh. laughed their heads off. He came out in a diaper and there and everybody would start saying, Asshole, asshole. Well he'd run to Daddy and Daddy would pat him <laughs> on the head. Oh no, it's okay and and, and you know, JR, shut up, shut up, you know. So how did they justify or how did they, yeah, I remember the diaper, but I can't remember how they set that up. Like, why would a grown man come to the ring in a diaper? Like, I don't know. How they, I can't remember how they did that, but. Yeah, because they're, they were always working. They always had a, they always had a way that asshole always had to run to daddy. Yeah. Like, and I guess he was a big overgrown baby, right? Yeah. Yeah, he could never win a match cleanly. Something no. would happen where Jr. would get involved, or yeah, somebody from the army would come out with, and then Jr. would get rid of him, get rid of him, right? And then yeah, yeah, and the interviews would follow with Ed, and Ed would you know keep keep the angle going, <laughs> you know, and then eventually he's in a diaper. <laughs> It was oh another example God. of how Athel is inextricably linked to JR. Athel came to All-Star Wrestling in BC during 84 yeah. and 85, and he made zero impact at all because, of course, nobody yeah. knew who JR fully was here. Yeah, that's what I've heard, yeah. And you, right. know, and, you know, when he went out to All-Star, Corey, I believe um, I believe Dr. Zhivago was also out there as Spiderweb, and he made no impact either. Mm-hmm. Certain things, there's certain angles that only fly in the Stampede territory, right? Which, right. I, I, I do say that. I think I think Jared Foley was one of the greatest uh, heels, underrecognized heels of all time. You know, unsung hero. But you gotta wonder, like, would he have flown? Would that character have flown anywhere else if he didn't have, you know, if he didn't have Eddie, Ed Whalen sort of to, to, you know, to bounce, you know, to have that rapport with? If he didn't have. The, you know, the link with the Dynamite Kid and, and you know, the whole storyline with Athel and everything. Would he have been, you yeah. know, I, I mean, I say he's one of the great managers, but if they brought him to the WWF, would he have been able to, would he have, have had the same, you know, rapport with, you know, Gorilla Monsoon or, you know, I wonder. Well, speaking of that, when Stampede initially shut down, JR was a referee for some of the WWF matches, right? Oh. Do you think oh. that was his possible lead in to working with WWF at that time? Maybe. I mean, maybe McMahon would have taken him seriously. You know, I mean, initially McMahon was only interested in taking, um, you know, he only wanted the Dynamite Kid, Bret Hart, um, who else, uh, you know, Jim Neidhart and Davey Boy Smith, of course. And those are the ones that got to, you know, that Stu cut the deal. And those were his top guys. So they went to the WWF. But I mean, you know, Stu, he, Vince didn't stop there. Like, I mean, he took Bad News Allen. He, um, Oh, and he didn't he didn't take Dr. D from Stewie, took him from uh, Vern Gagne. Um but he was bringing guys in and and you know and even guys you wouldn't expect like he at one point there he was trying to bring in the Cuban assassin and uh Bad News Allen they had a, this you know intense rivalry and Bad News Allen kind of put the kibosh on that one. But I wonder I wonder if he would have tried to bring in uh JR like it, you know. What about Killer Khan? What Weren't they trying to get him in the WWF? 
They did. I believe they did. I think Killer Khan had a had a little bit of a, sh- a short run with Hogan. He did, yeah. With uh, wasn't there something to do with the the machines managed by KY Wakamatsu, as you know, one of the super, as a super machine or whatever was under the giant. Yeah. One of the other machines was um, uh, uh Loch Ness Monster or something. Junji Hirata. Oh. Johnny hmm. Two Rivers. Huh. Hmm. Uh, that rings that rings a bell, but yeah, you know, you I yeah. think you know more about it than me, but yeah. And you know, Wakamatsu's still active in Japan. That's right here. There's pictures of him in the wrestling ring as as um, late as 2019. I'm not sure about at present. Huh. Well, that's another that's another guy that you know he they played him as the as the manager, and he was he's he a little tiny guy compared to everybody. But yeah, I've I've heard he was a legit. He was a tough guy in the ring too. He was he was he could look after himself just like Foley could. Yeah, a friend of you mine. Know, I just something just came to my mind about Foley. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there at one point they had this. Oh, it was so great. They had Brett and Stu teamed up, and Stu hadn't been in the ring yeah. forever. And I think they didn't they team up against Foley. I know Foley was there, but was it? I must have Foley. been Foley and Dynamite, right? Foley yeah. and the Stone. Yeah. And it was amazing to see. I mean, you know, we, we, it was, it was one of the times, like, I think Foley and Stu stole the show because that was the, that's what you wanted to see. You wanted to see Stu and Foley get into it. And apparently, you know, two tough shooters and everything. And they, they really were sort of, they really were starting to beat the hell out of each other in that ring. And, and it's, it's funny that they, these two old guys, but they're still very formidable. And it's, that's a great thing to see. I just, that just popped into my head actually, but oh. I, I the image in my mind is of Stu repeatedly shoulder blocking Foley into the corner and the crowd going crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I was just say that's why I was just gonna say Brett tagged in his dad and, and you could see Stu shoulder blocking uh, Mustafa right. and yeah, Jr. Um, Jr. standing on the standing on the outside of the apron there, wanting to do a little cheap shot or something. <laughs> So, you know, there's one other aspect about Foley I think that's underappreciated. Back in the days of the territories, when your time in a territory was kind of over, you'd move on. You'd move on to another territory, but you still have largely the same shtick, right? Yeah. And if you look at current wrestling, you have to have people modify themselves every year or two years to keep themselves fresh. Foley kept himself fresh. He was the corrupt millionaire. He was the cowboy. He had the German outfit. He was the army commander. He was a ship captain for a while. He was (laughs) remarkable at that. Yeah, they really, he was sort of, uh, I don't know, David Bowie or Madonna, right? They were always, <laughs> like, he always came out in a different, you know, after, every couple months, he'd come out with a different look, a different, I mean, it was always attached to that same J.R. Foley character, but, but yeah, he had a different look. He had, like, you, yeah, you're right, you could have his, you know, he had the, the uh, General Patton uh, hel- army helmet phase, and he had the, he had the uh, yacht captain phase, and he had the, um, yeah, the, the, Millionaire manager phase. I'm sure that was a, that was a great thing. That was another great thing. The way he would evolve. Yeah. That when he when he was the when he was the ship captain and interviews there, he'd say to Ed, "Ship ahoy, Ed, ship ahoy." <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing to myself right now. It's like, oh my, it's such a great character, and and the fact that nobody outside this small little you know pocket of western canada here knows it it's it's oh it's criminal it's one of these things that like every wrestling fan should know how great this guy was you know now one of his best angles in my mind was actually around 86 and as you said he kind of started winding down after 85 but in 86 he had a great run with dan crawford and this is probably through the genius of dan crawford his long-term booking mind but he actually had Don Crawford join the army for a while, and then oh, he sent gosh, bounty hunter after bounty hunter after Don Crawford, and then it ended up in that show that was at the uh, corral with the big ladder match. Can you talk about that a little bit? I cannot actually. You're you're fresh in my memory about that whole thing. I mean, Dan Crawford was the inventor of the ladder match. I we know that, right? Like, I mean, another unsung legend here I, I, dan crawford and torquemada had the first ladder match ever and it was it was uh crawford's brainchild and they, they hung the where however much money it was from the rafters and you got that you had to go up to the top of the ring and grab that money and that's who won and they're knocking the ladder down on each other and then and then i think bret hart and dynamite kid took the ladder match to 
new heights that the WWF looked at that and said, that is an amazing thing that we could do stuff with because Brett and Dynamite had the most amazing ladder matches. But I don't, you tell me, I don't know about the much about the Crawford thing. I, um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you a little bit how it started. So Dan was supposed to fight against uh, kind of a rookie named, I think it was Tits Jorgensen. And yeah. he was in the ring with them. And then as he's in the ring, the bell rings, and suddenly Mike Shaw runs into the ring and attacks Dan Crawford from behind, beats him up, and then defeats him. And then they show him later that Dan Crawford had signed a contract against Mike Shaw and not Jorgensen. And Dan Crawford gives this great interview where he says, you know, they pulled one over me. That's great for them. I should look at the contract better. I'm going to have to do better in the future. And then it started into this whole bounty hunter thing where they're going after Dan repeatedly every week. I kind of remember it. Yeah, I think I was maybe I, I might have been sort of semi checked out at that point. But uh, maybe I was seduced by the WWF or something at that point. And but uh, yeah, I, I kind of I do remember that. That's very cool. And that was Crawford's kind of last last big run, too. Right. Because I'm pretty sure Crawford would have retired right after that. He did. He retired sure. after the big corral show. Yeah. 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 So it's weird. Happened? It's weird to have Crawford be any kind of any kind of heel, right? Because he was always the golden babyface, right? He was always the the you know the good guy, almost like the Dudley Do Right of Stampede Wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah. So my if my memory serves me correctly, back when Crawford was in was with Jr. for a very short time, they were doing some kind of an angle with Tom McGee. Yeah, the muscle man, right? Yeah. So what was happening was, is in the end, um, I was there live watching. Uh, Crawford got the money and started throwing it out to the crowd. And then got on, and then Ed did the interview with them, and, and then Crawford admitted, yeah, you know, they wanted me to beat up that young that 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 young kid and all this <laughs> and that and then he says I got a good one on you Jr. Foley or whatever. Yes, awesome. But, Thanks um, for reminding me of that. I forgot all about that. That's classic. So what happened? So years and years later, I attended a book signing in Calgary at a comic book shop for uh, Vance Nevada. Yeah. And so what happened was, is uh, Dan Crawford showed up. Dan Crawford and Keith Hart showed up for the book signing. Yeah. And so when Dan was there, I, I asked, I said, Dan, do you remember throwing the money into the crowd? He goes, yeah. He says, yeah, I do. He just kind of laughed it off. He thought <laughs> it was funny. But yeah, I said, you know what? He goes, he goes to me, he says, how old are you? So I told him how old. He says, boy, you sure don't look that old. <laughs> No, no, I said I was there. I remember seeing you there. (laughs) Dan's the charmer. He's a charming guy. Yeah. And because he was throwing the money out, the way that feud ended is with a series of ladder matches against Honky Tonk Wayne. And then when Dan would win the ladder match, he would start throwing the money out to the crowd. Right. And now those I remember, Dan and and, uh, Honky Tonk had a great little run there. Honky Tonk was, you should do a Memphis uh, Mafia (laughs) episode sometime. Wow. What a team, you know? I used to have a shirt. I used to have the Memphis Mafia shirt. Did you? That I got made, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Heath, one of the things I know very little about is Foley's death. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I suspect some of the wrestlers probably would have attended his funeral. I, I, geez, I, I was, you know, I was, I'm kind of not, I'm kind of under the weather today. So I was scrambling around trying to find some information about that because I know it's in my book. Um, and, and yeah, he, he, so I believe he gets sick. Yeah. Towards the late eighties there. I, I, I wasn't sure if it was long. You said throat cancer. Yeah. And he passed away at 88. I'm racking my brain about that too. And I, and I was going through the dynamite Davy boy, Davy book and, and also my book, like, Yes, I'm sure. I'm, I'll, you know, the stamp, the whole cast of Stampede Wrestling would have been there for that. Everybody who was in Calgary at the time. But I wonder to myself, was the Dynamite Kid there? Could Tom Billington have made it there? Because you know he was like, you know how the WWF shows used to run back in those days. Like and these guys would work Christmas Day sort of thing, and you were on the road and you weren't getting off the road, right? Like they they worked you. Sometimes you do two or three shows 
or two shows a day even. And, 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 you know, they worked those guys to the, well, they worked out of my kid into a wheelchair eventually, but, but, uh, but I wonder, I wonder, I know, I know that there was a funeral. I know I, I, I even Michelle Billington even show, told me where he was buried in Calgary. And, um, Michelle Billington being the wife of you know, ex former, former wife of Tom Billington, that I'm a kid, but I do not know. I'm sorry. I'm letting you down today. Cause I, cause I wasn't able to do my research about some parts, but, but, um, yes, uh, I wonder if the Dynamite Kid made that funeral because you, I, you damn well know Dynamite Kid wanted to be at that funeral and then would have done anything to be at that funeral. Like he loved that man. Do you think that had any kind of impact upon Dynamite's career? Because after '89, he traveled to Japan a few times, but pretty much he was shutting down. I mean, obviously, he had injuries playing a role too. But do you yeah. think with Rougeau and then his father figure passing away, what do you think that effect would have had on Dynamite? I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I do think that would have been, had an effect on Dynamite. I mean, I mean, Dynamite had kind of gone off in his own and spread his wings and had a, had a career without Foley. Like, Foley's not a factor in Japan. Foley's not a factor in the WWF. But, you know, he was a father figure, and I think it, I think it really uh, – he, he was essential to the, to the sort of evolution of Dynamite Kid. Um, yeah, I mean, the way his life – his marriage was falling apart. He was losing his mind. Uh, steroids were becoming a, a, a huge factor. He was just out of his mind on all the pain pills. His back was given out. Um, Rougeau, uh, you know, he had the thing with Rougeau where it sort of humbled him and, and uh, messed with his mind as the bully, you know, the bully got beat, beat up there. And, and uh, that, you know, that always kind of screws with the bully's mind. And, um, and yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it, but good points. Like around that same time, we got the death of J.R. Foley. You have to think it's one of the contributing factors to uh, to um, to to the Dynamite Kid spiral for sure. Um, I would, yes, I would say there's a CNN interview out there with Dynamite in the wheelchair and yeah. him admittedly saying that he stopped taking steroids in 1989. So if you're saying Jr. passed away in '88, well, maybe it took maybe it took uh, Tommy uh, a year to think about you know, all the drugs that he was on and it was time to give it up, you know, maybe all when JR's, uh, you know, as being a father figure, you know, right. that, that might have affected Tommy a lot, you know, for him to maybe just stop and think, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should be stopped doing this kind of lifestyle now. But, well, you know, JR's gone now and, are you, you know. sure he stopped steroids in 89? Because I, I think when he was trying to kickstart his career at different times, and he, it was very you ill-advised. Know. But I thought he still continued. He still had he his bouts with steroids. 90, no, I'm wrong. 91, he does, it, he does say when he stopped taking. There's a CNN interview on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was for the Benoit. It was for the Benoit thing, wasn't it? No. Wasn't it? No. Because I know I, they, they, they did this really sort of – they did an interview with him when Benoit died and they sort of make him out to be this, you know, almost the father figure of Benoit. And, yeah. But you talk no. about all the, so we talk about all these ways that in which the dynamite had spiraled and we wonder if, if Foley was, that okay. was a contributing factor to that. And, and it's, it's same with Chris Benoit, really like that. You wonder how did this happen, man? What, how did this go this way? And, you know, people tried to blame it on steroids and people try to bring, blame it on the concussions but it's not just that. It's, it is the concussions. Like, we know oh, that God. he... It, but Benoit had the brain of, like, a 77-year-old Alzheimer's patient or something like that with all the yeah. chair shots he took and all the flying headbutts. And, and we know that he took a life... had a lifetime of steroids and his marriage was falling apart. So he was actually starting to get into the, the, the alcohol more than he had and stuff. But, but, uh, but also, he was tormented. He was, uh, uh, he was depressed. He lost Eddie Guerrero. He lost yeah. uh, Owen Hart. He lost these people that meant something to him. He was he was uh, he was grieving, and 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 he spiraled out of control. And that that kind of reminded me when we talked about Dynamite and his spiral out of control. And it's like was was fully a factor in that. And yeah, death death of a of a loved one uh, and that kind of grief. Sure, it, it, it must have contributed to Dynamite spiral, just like you know Guerrero and Owen and you know and all the deaths that were happening in the ring at that time. Um, geez, Davy Boy and Mr. Perfect, so many of them. That sure that would have contributed to to Benoit's spiral. So sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but yeah, that yeah, you're, you guys are helping me connect dots here. 
Yeah, see that that interview that I was talking about, Heath, was the interview they went to England when Dynamite was in the chair at his home. He he said he'd stopped taking. It was probably 1991, and uh, it's the same one where uh, he admits putting the shotgun to Michelle's head, yeah. but yeah. there's no shells in it. He would just pretended. Yeah. He said, I just pretended that. I remember, yeah. How was that interview? Right. Yeah, that was I, I, I thought, always thought that interview was, was connected to the, the Benoit thing, and they tracked him down oh. because he was such an influence on Benoit and that sort of thing. But, yeah, maybe, maybe I could be wrong, yeah. And then there was also a, isn't there a, isn't there a, a documentary out about Dynamite that yep. uh, um, commentated by uh, uh, Davy Richards? Yeah, I believe so. And of course, there's also that Dark Side of the Ring uh, episode on Dynamite Kid, and and uh, which didn't feature J.R. Foley at all, I don't think, or maybe just a little clip of him. But I, I think that the, the Dynamite Kid episode should have been like a two-parter like Brian Pillman's was. Like that, that warrants it. His life warrants it. And uh, yeah, I think they, I, I love that episode, but they did drop the ball in certain ways. And I think it's maybe because um, uh, of the way they were being directed by Michelle Billington, maybe, and, and maybe the Hart family, but they don't get too much into the, in the, you know, the breakup of the British Bulldogs and the very real rivalry between Dynamite and Davy Boy, like the, the hatred between them in the end. Uh, and they don't get into, you know, they don't touch on J.R. Foley, like they, to do a real deep dive into the life of the Dynamite Kid. Uh, you know, Did the, you? the connection to Davy Boy, you can't deny it. And and, and same with Jared Foley. Like, if you really, really want to do a deep dive into the life of the Dynamite Kid, Jared Foley is completely linked. Uh, did you ever see that Jap that interview they did? Um, and it was oh, it wasn't long before Dynamite passed away, where the Japanese where the uh, Japanese guy went to the home there with the laptop and, and had tiger mask on the laptop. Oh, jeez, uh, No, you see that? no, you I would remember? love to see it. And, uh, well, maybe <laughs> it's on YouTube there somewhere, but, um, that would have been emotional. I bet. Yeah, it was, um, they got tiger mask on the laptop and the state that would, that dynamite was totally out of it. Like, his eyes were like he was half closed. He could yeah. hardly. He just sat there on the chair, and Japanese guy pointed the laptop to Tommy, and 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 um, Satoru was on the laptop and said, "Tommy, Tommy," it, like it was really emotional. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's heart wrenching. I gotta see that. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely we're seeing. The other thing that's really good is to hear about Bronwyn's uh, last interaction with Dynamite 2. It was very heartfelt as well. Oh, yeah. Bronwyn's been so essential um, in keeping... You know, nobody needs to keep the legend of Dynamite Kid alive. I mean, his legend is out there. Anybody... Well, I think to the mainstream wrestling fan, maybe people need to keep Dynamite Kid's legend alive because I I think that people don't remember him the way they should. But wrestling fanatics, wrestling fans know, like, hey... Tiger Mask, Stampede Wrestling, the WWF. This 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 man was incredible, you know. But um, Bronman does a lot to keeping, you know, her, I, I think on Instagram and wherever else, just keeping his legend uh, very alive. Yeah, and personalizing him too, because the Dynamite Kid has been, for re- good reasons, has been very vilified. Right? He's been he's been. Yeah. They, we've seen the dark side of him, but Bronman and, and also the Dynamite Davy book that's come out, which is fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. Um, they and my and I tried to in my book too uh, humanize the Dynamite Kid because yeah, he was this mess, he was this villainous guy. He was a bully. He was a he was a mean he had a mean spirit and did some lousy, terrifying things. But he also. Uh, he had a human side to him too, like anybody. He, he and and, uh, and these Brahmins done a great job of bringing his humanity to the fore. So, he gentlemen, I want to thank you both for a tremendous analysis of J.R. Foley and Stampede Wrestling. Uh, Heath McCoy, you've been an amazing guest. I want to let people in the audience know that Heath's book is called "Pain and Passion: The History of Stampede Wrestling." Do you have any other ways that you want to tell your fans about what you're doing upcoming, Heath, or how people can contact you if needed? 
I got, oh boy, there's something in the works and who knows if anything will come of it, but there's, uh, there's some, yeah, there's some interest in taking pain and passion to, uh, to another level actually, which is kind of exciting. I can't talk about it because anyway, but, but then there's a kind of a weird thing I did. I work at the university of Calgary actually. And, um, there's this sort of art project sort of thing where it's, it's a, it's a stampede wrestling map and they're going, and it sort of maps out the, these key points or in and around Calgary of the, of these legend, you know, the key places where major stampede wrestling events happen sort of thing. And the dynamite kid factors prominently in that. I mean, there'll be an online component to that. And I, I don't know when it's launched or anything, but any, anyway, I'm quite excited about that as well. That sounds great. So yeah. thank you very much. And on Twitter, you're at Van Heathen. Yeah, at Van, at, at Van Heathen on Twitter, uh, Pain and Passion. You know, you can get it on Amazon. It's not in stores anymore, I don't think. But, I mean, it's uh, the book came out in 2005 and then a revision in 2007. So, yeah, it's not in the stores anymore. But it still sells consistently. And, it, and it's, on, it's on Amazon, you know, all the places. That you can order it through ECW Press. And, yeah, all the places where you can, uh, you can buy books. And it does really well as an ebook too. So, yeah, it's still, still out there. Buy it, please, people. I hope you love it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and I want you to have a great Sunday. Hopefully, come out from under the weather. Yeah, thanks. All right. Uh, awesome to be on the show. This is my favorite appearance on your show, man. I love doing this episode, and I'm so glad you did it. Thank you so much. Have a great day, gentlemen. You too. Thank you.